episode of On Repeat with me, Ellie Rashid. And me, Hattie Winter. And this week we've got a very special episode for someone's birthday. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah, um, it was so nice to have this as a bit of a birthday present, I guess. Um, and I think you'll agree mm. it's pretty magical. And our magical guest this week is the one and only Puma Blue. So from cosmic conversations and musical mystery to discussing being on stage versus live stream culture, we enter the rich, dreamy world of singer-songwriter, producer and multi-instrumentalist Puma Blue, a.k.a. Jacob Allen. Yes, we are talking to the lovely Puma Blue and his music has been described as a union between Jay Diller-influenced grooves with pure silky vocals, similar to that of Chet Baker. Inspired by an eclectic mix with the likes of Jeff Buckley, D'Angelo Bjork and Radiohead, which are some amazing influences, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Jacob also produces his unmistakable lo-fi music in his bedroom in South London and it all started in 2014. This is such a wonderful episode. We also talk about his album that's coming out early next year, which is called In Praise of Shadows, um, which is on the Blue Flowers label. And it just sounds amazing. I'm so excited to listen to this like huge, this huge body of work. So we're going to have this um, attached to the link in our show notes when it all comes out. I'll give you a pre-save link as well. Yes, indeed. So uh, just, a, just a little heads up to everyone. The sound quality is very zoom, zoom, zoom. Um, and you know in the spirit of Jacob's uh, lo-fi but very authentic uh, style Mm -hmm. Um, yeah the sound quality is really like something from outer space let's say which uh, draws significance to the cosmic nature of the conversations that we have definitely it's it's on the money (laughs) I love it it is actually like we're interviewing a guest in space it's amazing it was such a good conversation we had so much fun he was so patient with like us rearranging the interview and everything um he was just like a great guest and i hope that you love the conversation as much as we did absolutely so without further ado i can't wait to introduce pima blue enjoy started to you released music in like 2014 I think your your first kind of on SoundCloud well researched thank you very much (laughs) and like so that's sort of like a a sort of career that spans five or six years so how do you think that your music has sort of changed um well I started writing songs when I was like 13 but I didn't um didn't release anything till I was about 20 that's probably how old I was in 2014 um, off the top of my head. And I think at first it was, I wasn't really thinking about, about it in an artistic way. I was just writing for the fun of it. And so it used to come out just as a reflection of my age, probably just kind of it, like lots of songs that sound like Damien Rice or Jack Johnson or whatever. (laughs) Um, I think that was more exploring like how composition works and, uh the the kind of chords that I like to use I I think I sort of learned a lot of them quite early just from whatever artists I was into at the time just people like John Mayer who maybe stylistically now there's like not not really a trace of it left but in terms of the types of harmony I was attracted to I think 
that really got embedded into my playing early on. And then went to music college and sort of learned how to produce. And I guess that's when there was an element of focus finally, like more of a refined thing. And I guess coming out of college, it was all about like trying to get a band together. So actually for a while, it was a little bit like grungy. And then in a way it kind of just circled around. It just became a bit more like soulful again and a bit more jazz influenced again. And so the first stuff I actually ended up releasing in a weird way, it was the closest I'd been in years to the first music that I ever made. Because <laughs> um, it was like referencing back to all the music that I listened to as a kid again, you know, like Stevie Wonder or Billie Holiday and stuff. And um, so I guess it was kind of like me trying to reflect that at first with the Swan Baby EP and, and the Blood Loss EP. It was just about trying to blend this like love of hip hop and jazz and stuff with this um, songwriting, what would you call it, like temperament or whatever. Mm. And um, bit by bit, like especially with the album now, I think it's just become less and less pretentious or something like less not that the music I was releasing was pretentious necessarily but I think it's just hopefully become more and more purified and less and less like uh forced or I've, I've just been trying less and less and it's becoming more and more natural to me mm. as I get to know myself better I think as I've got older it's just easier to sound like me, even if it's still just as hard to write songs and still just as hard to make something good. I think when I do achieve it, like after the hard work, I'm like happier with how it sounds compared to, you know, three or four years ago. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It sounds like you've gone kind of um, almost like a full circle. So you started off making something when you were like around 13 and then you started taking all these influences. So like, yeah, you mentioned like grunge and John Mayer and D'Angelo and then you've kind of gone all the way back to the beginning of what you were first making but maybe in a more authentic like mature way me hopefully I love yeah, um, definitely. I love you talking about authenticity actually and I think that the way you put that was really really beautiful and actually mm. very authentic as well I um I wonder I was thinking as you were saying that authenticity and songwriting like that makes total sense if you're growing and developing and you know the world makes more sense so your music and your art reflects that what about covering songs what about performance and things like that have is there anything that you feel like you could cover with more authenticity or how do you feel about people maybe covering your work what's it like I don't know if you have heard anyone sort of cover your work yeah, actually quite a lot these days. It's really weird. It kind of freaks me out a bit. <laughs> and it definitely just happens more and more frequently. But I, I don't know. It's weird only because I don't see myself like that. I don't, I don't think of myself as like a coverable entity, mm. if that makes any sense. So like... Um, I still feel very much like a child or student of music or something. And uh, it, it's, it's really beautiful to see these like young people uh, learning the chords by ear and just figuring it out. Cause that's literally how I 
learned music was just figuring it out like that. So it's really beautiful to see that happen, but it is just very strange because sometimes I forget I'm 25 and I have there's music out now. So of course that's going to happen. But um, that is really bizarre. It always it still weirds me out that that happens. And but every now and again, there's a really beautiful one. And I'm like, wow, I prefer this to the version of <laughs> some girl from Atlanta just like doing something on keys rather than guitar with like a way better voice than me. And it's like, wow, this is actually a much more pleasant experience to listen to than hearing myself. <laughs> um, well, that's the way I see it. But, you know, that's because I'm me, I guess, you know. So mm. I, I can't be completely objective about it and my own voice is is hard to listen to sometimes but I don't actually know what is better or worse um sorry but your original question um it's a strange I definitely feel like you were saying about kind of authenticity and and um moving towards maturity as I've got older I do definitely feel like live wise much closer to something special than ever. And I feel like that kind of increases every year just with a sort of sensitivity to music being something much bigger than me um, and something quite spiritual. I think in a way you understand a lot of this when you're a child, right? You mm -hmm. kind of look at the world like that. Um, yeah. And yeah, and just in a kind of open way and your imagination runs really free and stuff like music and and you'll both understand this because you've got like art backgrounds but something like music or film that feels very abstract to you in a way that you can't even you don't even know what abstract is yet mm. but as a child it's just shapes and colors and sounds and uh you you do a lot more visualization in your mind rather than actually thinking about like when I listen to music now, it's just automatic analysis. Uh, not in a way that kills it for me, but I can't help but think about like what the bass is doing or, mm. you know, oh, that was a nice like chord change. And like, why, why was it nice? Because it worked in this certain theory where, you know, but I, you don't think about any of that as a kid. So I think live music and, and, you know, in a way when I was a kid, that felt a lot more um special and magical and in the moment for a while uh that compared to them when I was like 21 and thinking really hard about my performances whereas now I think again with this circle idea I've come a bit closer again to really experiencing like true just a true musical experience on stage um and I think that is that's been a really amazing thing that I've missed this year in, in the in the lockdown is just mm. last year being on stage it really felt like communication or or speaking a language it felt like a very fluent kind of um beautiful act especially like with that interaction within the band um it just kind of feels seamless and fluent and and you don't even have to think about it um so that's definitely changed. I think it just this sort of deeper connection or understanding of the world, but it's almost through like understanding it less and less and letting go of the 
the steering wheel a, a little bit more and just letting the music kind of dictate itself to you. Um, and I guess in the same way, as you were saying about covers, I think I would like a few years ago, I probably would have thought a lot more and a lot harder about how am I going to cover this or like, who am I covering? What's the significance? And art school teaches you to think that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like to be really, everything's got to have an explanation. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's just like, it's not a painting, it's yeah. a mess. But if it has you a really, yeah. <laughs> but if you can explain it, then they give you the full marks, even if the work is really weird. Um, <laughs> so I think for a while I've been really thinking about like, why do I sound this way? Or why am I doing the things I'm doing? And that was definitely an important part, you know, of, of my identity was figuring out like, is this just, am I just kind of, on autopilot or am I making these decisions for myself? And I think now that I've understood why I'm making those decisions and I'm not trying to like overthink it anymore, I think the way I'd cover something now would be a lot more um, instinctive and just going on my gut and just, you know, not thinking too hard about it, just going on, why am I covering this song? Like, because I just feel like I should, or why mm -hmm. am I singing that it that way? or or how, how true am I going to be to the original? It would all just be based on like how I feel in the moment rather than um, <laughs> just kind of being super, uh, what's the word? It's like cerebral about it kind of. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like academic or something. Yeah. I love what you're saying about children and how actually as we get older as we mature whatever um we we seem to revert back to being children and it's that whole thing of the more you learn and the more you, you sort of develop the less you realize you know and actually yeah, definitely. unlearning something is more difficult than learning something Mm. And they say that even with classical singing, um, to get sort of the right mouth shapes and everything, it's actually about letting go and relaxing. And they say, well, you know, babies were not taught how to scream really loudly. They just opened their mouth and did it. But we have <laughs> all of these like really weird positions that we feel like we should be getting into. So it's unlearning all of that stuff. Um, and what you were saying as well about actually just recognizing the value in seeing something just like I don't know an art piece just for the first time or listening to a song for the first time and having that magic and how definitely studying music for example I completely felt you on this one I heard you but you can only hear like the chord progressions and the bass line and this and it does take something away I wonder is there a gig that you can remember um, where you felt like you were hearing music uh, at, for face, at face value almost, like you got that sort of magic rather than analysing it. And whether that's a, a song or a performance or, yeah, was there an artist that did that for you? That's, a, that's an interesting question because that really subverts my idea of my what my favourite experiences that a gig might have been because a lot of the, the gigs that I've been to over the years are probably 
you know, the ones that I remember the most aren't necessarily those ones. I don't know, the most visceral bands I can think of that have given me that feeling, maybe uh, the Mantis Opera, I don't know if you guys know them, or Black Midi, if you guys know those guys as well. And for, for the same reason, which is basically just that I think the, the music, especially live, it felt so uh, unconventional that I really didn't know where it was going the entire time. And because I wasn't a diehard fan, fan like in the audience, someone that like knows the compositions really well, obviously my mind was analyzing and I was picking up on things and I was kind of thinking, ooh, wow, that, that was a beautiful moment or what's that guy doing over there like in the corner of the stage or whatever I think part of those bands for me live just felt so like just wondrous like just I couldn't really like believe what I was hearing I didn't really know what I was hearing and maybe it's a part partially that element of surprise but also just I think they've made the music to be that way whether you know the songs back to front or not it's just very non-linear or something so those kind of stand out just for being kind of like mind-blown in the same way that I feel when I've seen a really great film um, that has just twisted (laughs) my (laughs) brain I feel like yeah coming away from their shows I, I remember feeling just like wow I don't really know I can't even really remember any of it, but that was just like touching the sun or something. Mm. It's amazing having those moments when it's almost like a kind of before and after of seeing that or hearing that. Yeah, and you're like, I don't know what I was expecting before, but that that was just like a beautiful experience. But then in the same way, and this is this is a really like contrasting comparison, but um, I managed to see Radiohead. I'm sorry, oh, wow. these are all like um, mostly white, just rock bands, quite similar in that regard. But I, I got to see Radiohead at Glastonbury. That was kind of the main reason I wanted to go. And I know their music so well, such a sort of deep personal connection to their albums. So it shouldn't have felt so abstract, but it just did because I think I just was able to really let go and thankfully didn't spend the whole gig kind of picking it apart or watching it through a camera or something. I just kind of, and maybe part of it was not having a very good view. I was like really far back. (laughs) And so I was like, shit, I could have maybe rocked up here. I could have missed Anderson Pack and just got here like two hours. And it was in like a onesie and um, like a bodysuit, which had the album printed over and over again on it. And he was just so full of energy. So I I don't regret seeing him. But um, I got there at the time. I was kind of like, oh, no, I've got a really bad view. But then it ended up being good because I couldn't really like watch the boys. I couldn't really like study it mm. like, a, like a musician would study a, a artist or a singer or whatever I just had to kind of like be there and experience it as this kind of wave of noise coming over like 
thousands of people. And I think it helped me just have a more, I don't know what word you were using earlier, but just a kind of detached, very emotionally based, abstract, childish experience of, of that set. And it, I'm so glad for it because it blew me away. That, that's like really solidified them as one of my favorite groups, I think, because of that experience. Do you think it's possible to have that kind of experience on screen? I'm just thinking in light of lockdown as well, like live gigs or live streams and things like that. Do you think it's possible to be touched in the same way? I mean, I was listening to someone Oh, I was listening to Jeff Buckley last night with my girlfriend and I was trying to show her some Jeff Buckley stuff she didn't really know because we, we never really like listened to Jeff Buckley together before mm. and I just always assumed she knew him quite well for some reason and she was like, you know what, like you should show me some some of his stuff that you think I'd like. So I put on this little playlist and this version of Hallelujah came on that I didn't know and I sort of avoid that song because it feels like a bit of a uh, a bit of a like bait classic in his repertoire. Yeah, yeah a little bit of a cop out, you know. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. So I don't really listen to that very much, but this was a version of it that I hadn't heard, and it was eleven eleven at night on the eleventh of November, and we decided to like write a bit of a um, vision for ourselves for next year, like just on separate phones, just not really even kind of looking at each other's notes, but we just wanted to like take this weirdly cosmic moment to like <laughs> maybe just write some goals or uh, just kind of manifest some changes in our life. And this playlist was going in the background and I was just writing some stuff down and this version of Hallelujah is playing and I, I don't know if it was like this kind of ridiculous cosmic moment or more that Jeff's voice just really caught me off guard because of this version I didn't know and I wasn't expecting. Um, and I just kind of cried a little bit. I wasn't in floods of tears, but I was really overwhelmed with how beautiful he was. Just mm. kind of hit me in a wave. I don't really listen to him as much as I did when I was a teenager, but he's kind of remained this um, pillar of inspiration. And it'd been a while since I'd gone back and listened to why. <laughs> so maybe it was that as well, but I just was like blown away by it. He just sounded like an angel. And so it does make you think, maybe you can have that experience virtually because it's not like yeah. in front of me like he's he's dead sadly and he this is a recording from like before I was born um and there wasn't even a visual to accompany it so maybe you can it I feel like I've been quite negative about the live stream culture because it just seems so cold and and so um takes away a lot of the just literal sonic and spiritual kind of vibrational mm -hmm. interaction that you can have in the same space as somebody. But maybe I should be a bit more open-minded because, 
you know, you can sit and just watch a tiny laptop screen and, and watch something on Netflix that like makes you like that changes your life. So why, sh- why shouldn't mm. you be able to have that with music? That story's given me goosebumps because you you actually painted that picture so well, and I love the a little bit too much of a romantic sometimes. No, I'm I'm taking notes. No, it's really moving. I, I it was so moving. I'm taking notes. The sonic significance thing. I'm thinking I need to be doing this actually at eleven eleven. What time is it now? Nineteen. That is all. That's all down to my partner. She's she's amazing at just taking note of moments like that and and sort of including me in in them so that's that's not really me but um yeah i'm very grateful too i want to go back to something you said about pillars of inspiration so you just mentioned um jeff buckley and when i messaged you being like we don't really have loads of questions planned what do you want to talk about? And you are like, I'd love to talk about my influences and inspirations because you don't get to talk about them much. So I'd love to hear more about that because I feel like you've mentioned quite a few, um, in my mind, like seminal artists so far. And I'd love to hear the rest. What does the word seminal mean again? I, it's not one that I kind of use very often. Like someone can be iconic for like tacky reasons, right? But can someone... <laughs> Someone, I guess, can only be seminal for like really good reasons. Seminal means strong, st- strongly influencing later developments. And I think, I think someone like D'Angelo is that Jay Diller. I think made huge tidal waves in their in their time, mm. like just the influence they had even on their friends and that close circle and Erica Badu and the Roots and stuff. Oh. I think um, they. They had a, they sort of started a huge shockwave of, or butterfly effect, or whatever you want to call it, of something really amazing that they just managed to touch on somehow. I guess in a in a long-standing way, definitely as I've already mentioned, Jeff Buckley and and Radiohead have been just incredibly important to my understanding of music and my finding what I love about music. I think that's kind of the most exciting thing, right? Is when you discover you love something. That's already like a huge, exciting, endless potentiality. You're like, wow, hey, I've realized that I'm super into um, sport. Like, wow, for me. And then you sort of realize, oh, wow, now I get to sort of figure out what sport that is going to define me or whatever. And I think in the same way, realizing you love music can be a really early discovery, but then realizing what it is specifically that you love about music is kind of a never ending, beautiful journey. And those two just got in very early kind of for me, (laughs) probably like 15. So already like an avid listener of music, but maybe a little immature in my taste sometimes. And I discovered them when I was still at school. And I think it was just something about their um, willingness to go to kind of a darker place still remain really pure and beautiful and, and not kind of pessimistic artists or not spooky for like the sake of the aesthetic of being spooky or anything. I think that really touched me and that that has had a big impact on how I write. How do you kind of, I want to say like pay homage to them in your in your work or do or do you kind of 
not, what do you kind of take from them? Echoing into the future, just kind of trying not to be afraid of dissonance and trying not to be afraid of using darker colors or telling quite dark truths um, or at least touching on them. But yeah, not not trying to go to like doom town. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Keep it quite beautiful um, or as beautiful as possible. It's funny saying that out loud. It's weird that that even matters to me. I've never really realized that before because I like a lot of ugly music too, you know, like Death Grips or um, I can't think of someone else off the top of my head. Even JPEG Mafia sometimes. It's like really just noisy. Um, mm. But I think when I write, I do make an attempt to for it to be beautiful. I don't know if that, maybe Freud would have a field day with that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is, but that's something um, that I think they do as well. Um, also, Bjork has been really important to me, but maybe in a more recent way, she's just transcendent. <laughs> honestly yeah. like it seems to have that childlike yeah. uh understanding of music that we were talking about but in this really wise old way as if she's been around for thousands of years yeah uh, and what we're experiencing is secretly like the tail end of her career or something um <laughs> and I just sort of feel like I, I love that her imagination never runs out. She's always got a concept for an album and it's never like a silly gimmick. It's always something mm. that's like, wow, yeah, no one has explored that. Oh my yeah. God. Like, I can't wait to hear how they, <laughs> how Bjorg de decides to um, continue making music. And mm. she's got an incredible voice. It's probably unlike any voice that I like i don't like traditionally like super clean voices like um i'm not really i mean ella fitzgerald and chet baker come to mind but they're bad examples because they're both stunning but i prefer like a more characterful voice like a, like billy holiday or um mm. or something or d'angelo you know he's like very technically proficient but he's not like classical sounding like it's it's all coming from his like gut and his soul and yeah. uh so i i think i prefer that and in a weird way i think bjork almost kind of subverts all of that and just sounds unique like she she definitely doesn't sound like generic or super clean mm. but she's not she's not coming from this like soulful rhythm and blues place like Billie Holiday or like James Blake or something. It's like um, something alien or just, but it's really human at the same time. Yeah. You know, like she really like sings with her heart and that's what's so compelling is it's really emotional listening to Bjork sometimes. Um, I totally, I totally agree. She's, she's so unique and actually it made me think from, a classical singing perspective as well. I think a lot of people assume that classical singers are carbon copies of each other. And actually, if you listen to the intricacies within that style of singing, some of the best singers are the ones who manage to retain 
um, and create this unique sound. And interestingly, with an orchestra backdrop, they are the ones that really stand out and bringing it back to Björk as well. Oh, it's the best, best day ever. Saw Björk at the Royal Albert Hall um, doing her string set. Oh, it was stunning. And, and this is the thing, her just, like you said, complete sort of child, but wise, unique um, aura was just mind blowing. And because, because of that, that unique sound she has, it just holds its own uh, amongst the strings and, and the sort of orchestra. And I just thought it was a really interesting parallel to draw between the kind of traditional classical singer that you might have fronting those strings but yeah also when you're talking about Bjork um oh, I just love Bjork <laughs> like child childish and wise have you seen that video of her when she pulls apart the um the tv yeah <laughs> I love that video <laughs> isn't that great yeah. yeah that's a great example of that um of that exact sentiment isn't it because yes. she's kind of Yes. Yeah. Lost in the mystery of it, but she also like knows her shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> she like really know what she's talking about. Yeah. Um, so good for her. Yeah, she's she's amazing. Did you see the Somerset House um, uh, VR exhibition? No, I didn't. I missed it. So um, Bjork uh, had a virtual reality exhibition of her new album all of the music videos but in complete yeah virtual reality I think there's one I think it was quicksand but when you just felt like you're in space yeah. I want to go to space oh I think that's an amazing question I love it I love it when um when musicians and artists we interview ask us questions questions to <laughs> I us. don't know <laughs> I mean well you guys are the interesting ones like if you're if you've got the podcast, it's a shame not to hear from you guys, I think. <laughs> um, it's funny because I've thought about this quite a lot recently because uh, I can see Mars quite well from my balcony. I, well, I, I think that in our lifetime, we will be able to just go into space. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, know whether I, that will I just be rich people or what, but... No, I think it'll be the wealthy. That's my, that's my yeah. prediction. I would totally, like, yeah, I'd totally go into space. Um, I think I'd go, but I think when I think about it on like a human level, I'm like, we don't deserve space. Like, <laughs> don't I don't know. Space. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like we've ruined this planet and all we'll do is go and litter other planets. And if we can barely get on with people that have like a different God to us, how are we going to get on with people that have like, I don't know, tentacles or I just don't, I, I just think that humans, I just think humans are the worst. <laughs> but I would love to go to space. <laughs> I think there's a lot more to discover here still. Mm. Uh, but it is, I think it's really beautiful and cute. We've done all this civilizational evolution and culture has grown over thousands of years and technology has advanced and advanced and we've still only kind of gone to the moon, um, yeah. which is just like right on our doorstep. I think that's like quite sweet. Uh, and apparently, did you guys hear that apparently we know more about space than we do about, about the ocean? The ocean, right. yeah. the ocean freaks me out a lot. I think I'd rather go to space than the, the depth of the ocean. That's a really hard one, but I think me too, yeah. in a way. I don't know why that is, no. though. 
because they're both equally scary to me. I want to go mm. to both. You're the daredevil within us. <laughs> yeah. If interdimensional travel, like in Doctor Who, was a thing, then I, I think I would like do it in an instant. But if I had to be an astronaut, I don't think I would do it. Mm. That's incredibly claustrophobic and yeah, quite lonely. The idea of like floating off into a vacuum. I know that's like incredibly rare, but that is very scary to me. You know, um, sometimes they like beam songs through space. I think they did it for David Bowie when he died. Um, which song would you choose to beam through space? Oh, oh, Hattie. Oh. The crazy. <laughs> Questions. Yeah. Um, That's what we're known for here. <laughs> know about that vinyl that they sent into space originally with um, Dark Was the Night, Cold Was the Ground by, mm. I think it's Blind Willie Johnson, like one of the old blues guys. I think that's amazing because it's blind blues singer from, actually, I don't know. I think it's like the 20s, but don't quote me on that. Mm. And it's kind of just like wordless or it sounds like a prayer. And I think that's a really beautiful piece of music. I think they chose really well, but what would I choose? Um, this is like a desert island discs question, but on steroids. <laughs> yeah, what if the, what if the people on that show before they revealed their desert island, desert island discs, they had to take steroids. What if, <laughs> What if that was the show? Um, I think the BBC would definitely sign off on that. That show yeah. always makes me cry. There's, oh my gosh, every time. I need, to, I need to listen to some of those again. That's been a while since I, I think I'd probably choose something by just someone really pure, like Donny Hathaway or Jeff Buckley or, um, or Bjork. Like just something that has touched me over and over again that I, I'm probably seems too obvious to even think of right now like um like i don't know that's a, i have to get back to you i wish i could think of it i'll try and think of it um and i'll try and say by the end of this podcast it's it's a tough question i wasn't really even expecting like a, a single answer because even if i asked myself like i can't i can't do that i can't think i can't even kind of desert island disc myself i can't even think of five songs i can only ever narrow it down to five albums which is not allowed so to pick one song to be beamed through space i'm not your gal for it no depend on the mood depend on your mood i think i don't know like like what what are we trying to like appease to the aliens you know like yeah. trying to think yeah. about the demographic of aliens what they might like yeah. or are we just yeah. doing it based on <laughs> like what, what do i want them Okay, so moving away from space, I do want to talk about kind of location and area because you Back down are to Earth. From, from sort of like Southeast London kind of area. Parents grew me up in just like the top of Surrey, bordering on Croydon. Um, so that's where I grew up and, and then I was at uh, a school in Croydon for a couple of years studying music before uni, like for a what's it called, BTEC. Um, mm. So I don't know, because London was always just like half an hour away on the train, I've always sort of felt like a fringe Londoner, but not really. 
you know, until I went mm. to London, I didn't really feel quite like I was a Londoner, like mm. officially. Um, but yeah, sorry, carry on, I interrupted you. No, it's all right. And then I was going to say, and now you're moving to Atlanta. As you said just before, um, Ellie joined. But I was thinking you mentioned Atlanta quite a bit. You were like, oh, a girl covered me in Atlanta. And I just wondered if you had like a a real connection to it or to the States in general. Uh, yeah, well, I, I never did before, but my partner's from there. So um, over the last couple of years, it's really just become a part of my life. And then last year we were touring for the first time in the States and we ended up doing two tours and then I did two like standalone shows. So it was really strange in the space of two years, I suddenly have been in America like a huge amount, um, mm. you know, staying with her for three months at a time and then coming home and then going back out there to tour and then like staying with her again. And um, so, Atlanta has really come to feel like a second home in a really lovely way. And it was always lovely when we were doing long distance to know that eventually I'd be going back there because, you know, work kind of allowed me to, whereas she was working a job at the time that meant she couldn't really like come to London very often. So it was a lot easier for me to get out there. But yeah, we've been, we've been living together now for like a long time over here. And, um, it's just time to go back. There's just lots of reasons. It, it was one of those things where like, we love it here. We love this neighborhood. We're in like kind of East London and there's lots of reasons to stay, but it, it has also felt increasingly like there's loads of signs to move. And, um, mm. you know, when you kind of ignore signs at first, you're like, oh, maybe the signs are to ignore, you know, maybe like yeah. the signs are there just to prove to me that I do know what I want and what I want is not what the signs are telling me. And, and that's the message. But then after a while, if you're that, it just becomes resistance and you're just trying yeah. to knock the door that is firmly closed. And I think for us at the moment, it's just kind of felt like, yeah, it's time to, to sort of live over there for a bit and, and for her to be back home for a bit. Um, but it's, that's you know, nice. it's bittersweet. I'm actually really excited to be back there. I love people in Georgia and the food there is incredible and I bet um yeah I'm it, definitely the weather is a little different so that we know what's the kind of music scene like how does it compare to to kind of London is there like a prevailing Atlanta sound I mean there definitely is um I just don't know if I am like invited to the party yet if you know what I mean like uh there's Definitely, I mean, uh, Outcast is their sort of national treasure. Like they've got mm. incredible uh, ownership of uh, Outcast being from Decatur, and so they're always playing Outcast on the radio. It feels like, and that's really, really cool. I, love I was going to say, there's definitely worse things to be um, on, on the radio. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and uh, there's, I think, there's a big trap scene in Atlanta as well, but. Um, I haven't been there for long enough and I haven't maybe explored the music scene enough. Like whenever I was there, I didn't feel like I was really going to many like local gigs or anything. Um, 
So it'll be interesting to see if there is a bit of a music scene that I maybe come to know. But it's strange, isn't it? Like when you arrive in an area, it's kind of up to the area to a certain extent to like let you in on where the like secrets are. So like, mm. I think the reason I was able to find that in London was because, you know, from the age of whatever, 16, uh, or maybe even a little bit younger, that's kind of been my surroundings. So I've just kind of, you, you find those places very naturally and you find those communities and those nights and those collectives and that just becomes, and before you know it, you're like a staple of that community and you're like, oh yeah, like that makes sense because we've all grown up together. But it's it's different to just kind of find myself plopped down in an Atlanta. I'm sure there's like an established thing there, but I'm just, I'm going to be a newbie. <laughs> Make it on the block. And also, I feel like we should talk about your album, which is coming out. Um, yeah, I guess you'll probably kick my ass. <laughs> No, he wouldn't. He's too nice. But um, that's nice. He'd and send me a text. <laughs> so it's called "In Praise of Shadows," and it's due January, early January, mid January. Yeah, I think January. It might be moved to a week later, which would be the first week of Feb, because of a weird industry reason that is pointless to explain. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think early January. Uh, sorry, late January or like early Feb. Yeah, I can't wait for people to hear it. It's it's weird because yeah. I was finishing it that time last year and oh, wow. really, really finishing it in like April, May of this year. But, you know, I was doing the sessions with my, with Harvey actually, who, you know, um, yeah. uh, in January on, on kind of just like tying everything up and I did a lot by myself and then I did a lot of sessions with him and then I kind of came back to doing it by myself at the end and kind of tying it off like that. And I can't believe it's going to be a year since all of that, that it's going to be released. So in a way, it feels really exciting because I'm like finally going to be able to share this part of myself that has been very private for the last like two to three years. Mm. But in another regard, it feels kind of like old news to me. It feels kind of um, like yesterday's statement. Um, but, you know, that's okay. I'm I'm fine with the world being a little step behind where I am in myself because it gives me a little bit of time to try and get together how I'm going to even articulate how I'm feeling right now you know yeah I think yeah. if I had to articulate in real time I wouldn't be a very good songwriter because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can release stuff that's that I've been sitting on for a little bit and work on stuff in the meantime I think hopefully it means I can just refine things a little bit more and um yeah but yeah I'm so excited for people to hear all these love songs rather than just songs about depression and, <laughs> and um yeah I'm, I'm just really happy with it I've never been so happy with music before I've always had kind of insecurities and you know in the same way as like body image you kind of just mm. look back and you're just like oh you're so hard on yourself um mm. But yeah, I'm really, really, I think on this album, I'm like looking in the mirror and feeling 
actually really content with how I look if we if we're sticking with that analogy and um yeah. I love that yeah I can't wait for you guys to hear it actually I'll send you I'll send you it I'll send you both it before it comes out this is your kind of biggest body of work I suppose yeah 14 can you believe it when I finished wow. the last EP I never thought I'd write another song again <laughs> so it's a surprise for me that it's 14 14 14 is that in is that within a year 14 songs within a year that what that I wrote them in within a year no yeah. um I reckon like Ooh, that's it's really hard to, to tell I reckon at least four of them there's two that I know for sure I wrote in like 2014 that I just didn't ever finish or I I mean one of them I never like finished recording it and then I just got sick of it and then one of them I played once at Amisham Arms in New Cross. Mm-hmm. It's called Silk Print. I just played it once at this open mic night in this horrible pub you two know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I worked in briefly. And mostly oh. bleak memories from university. I almost wish I hadn't gone, except that <laughs> obviously those things set and mm. caused motion just so many other things like just friends that you meet and I wouldn't know you too and all sorts of things but um anyway yeah, I played this song at this open mic night um one time and never recorded it and and wrote the lyrics down probably somewhere and then forgot about it I just thought it was a shit song or it didn't line up with who I thought it was at the time I left it until recently I came back to it played it in a rehearsal for the boys and they loved it i can't remember why it came back oh i played it to fill out the set in in atlanta actually and at eddie's attic i did a solo show and most of the songs kind of need the band to sound good (laughs) to be honest uh so i have to fill my set with like you know I, i take out songs that i can usually do with the band and fill the set with like covers or, or or stuff like that and I played um a few really old songs I just for some reason remembered how to play that one and played it and was like you know what I'm gonna put that on the album mm-hmm. so there's definitely like a few songs like that um there's a few from like 2018 I think but definitely at least half of it was written yeah in the last like year or last year and a half really honored because actually um this is going to be my birthday episode I mean not only is it wonderful because because you're gonna be on it but also I feel like it's appropriate um as we've had a very sort of cosmic conversation and also because I always associate December with the color blue oh interesting I I don't know why um, and I, I've always thought of your music as blue and pink. And I don't know if that's because Puma is pink and and blue is, well, blue. <laughs> um, and I just wondered, uh, firstly, how did you find, how did you find Puma Blue as, as a name? And what color do you see your music as? Ooh, 
another you guys with the questions great questions um i think the color i see my music has changes a lot but not like drastically every day i i just mean more like certain eras of or phases i've been through have felt like colors i guess like um when i was making swan baby i remember seeing a lot of like greeny blue in my head and making blood loss it felt like a lot of orange and blue and with this music it's been a lot of like caramel creams and nude pinks and sort of champagne color you know um what would you call that it's sort of like that weird color between horrible yellow and horrible pink but kind of washed <laughs> out it's like a really lovely cream color yeah. like vanilla almost um or gold or, or something but um the way i got to that name first of all i would have just called myself Jacob alan but um I just kept getting asked to do a lot of gigs that were like singer-songwriter gigs. And at the time, I didn't want to be on the same bill as like folky, poppy singer-songwriters. And I wasn't putting on my own nights yet, or I wasn't really like within the music scene yet. So I, I guess when I first started put, like performing my own stuff with a band, I just wanted people to like assume it was a band or I assume it was something a bit more alternative so I'd get on the right kind of build mm. so I decided I needed like a name and also just to sort of not be thinking about myself all the time because it's so gross to be okay. <laughs> sort of self-consumed and I I wanted to like have a bit of a separation between my name and and my music so um that was the reason I kind of wanted a name. And then I came to it because I was thinking, I was really inspired by uh, double-barreled, like, blues musicians' names, mm -hmm. like Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf um, or Memphis Mini. These kind of, mm -hmm. like, superhero names that had, like, two names to it and sort of sounded like a made-up name that could almost be a real name, like Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf. It almost sounds like a given name. Yeah. But it's just a little bit too sort of yeah. fantastical to be true. But I wanted something a little bit like that where people could like maybe get confused. Like, is that a name? Um, rather than just being called like the flamingos or whatever you know i wanted it to be a little bit of a first name second name situation um and i got blue first i think because of just a sort of some sort of inner association to like you said just the sound of what i was writing at the time it just kind of felt it felt right it just felt like something melancholy or aqueous i guess like I've, I've always been quite um drawn to bodies of water or water as a theme and my eyes are blue i don't know there was lots of sort of like draws to it and i remember just thinking that is probably an important word to pick and then honestly puma just came from writing blue down like hundreds of times and then writing random words next to it to see what felt right and i just, I think I got so far with that that I gave up and 
I wanted it to be something a little bit uh, not asexual, but like androgynous. Yeah. Um, and I think I just ended up like scrolling Puma in a sort of final attempt to like think of something. And I remember thinking, wow, I could like associate right now with a sort of slinky cat. Yeah. <laughs> feminine energy and a sort of uh, mystery and I think that's a bit stupid now but at the time that sort of um, resonated with me for some reason and I think with any name like Nirvana or I don't know um, 702 or just I don't, I don't know if there has to be a reason once you've got the name I think the point is, is that you needed a name, right? So it can be as stupid as you like, but I think getting the name is the hard part. And yeah. as soon as I like decided on Puma Blue, I kind of just didn't want to look back because I, I don't really care what, what the name is. It sort of needed to have one that I could at least resonate with for like a minute. And then <laughs> I don't know if I'd like call myself that now if I had to choose from scratch, but um, I'm happy to stick with it because it's like what I chose then. Yeah. Oh. I, I think it fits really well. I think it sounds really cool. Yeah. Still translates. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I think so. Oh, you've been a wonderful guest. Um absolutely amazing. We have we do have a final question. I mean I have a final question before the final question because oh. I just wondered what your what your favorite part of writing not writing, what's your favorite part of kind of the whole process is? <clears throat> Firstly, the first thing that popped into my head was just that moment of pure clarity and uh, gratitude and fulfillment of finishing something, whether that's the moment that you realize this idea is like special and different to all the hundreds of scrapped ideas, or maybe it's the moment that you like hear the final mix back or I don't know, whenever you feel like spiritually it's finished. I live for that feeling. It's so lovely, beautiful, transcendent to just feel like you have something that you didn't have yesterday mm. um, that is both completely yours and completely not yours and just came from like energy and sound, <laughs> like what? Um, but also I love that moment to live where you where I get to play it with the band and see people react to it or or not necessarily like sing along even but just sharing a moment with a mass of people or even if it was three people in the room it wouldn't matter but having something that you made that you get to sort of share and and you know, I've taught it to the band or maybe they've even like come up with their own parts or written parts of the song. And then having that like musical conversation with each other, which, you know, sounds really elementary a little bit like musical conversation, like, mm -hmm. but um, I just love that dynamic. I think mm -hmm. just hearing the power of music on stage and being a channel for that energy is really special so I kind of live for that moment in the process but yeah one of those two 
Perfect. Well, hopefully we'll have live back soon and you can have the the second part of your answer. Fingers crossed. Never take it for granted. No, I don't think I'll ever turn down like an invite again, you know. I'll pay someone to go to their wedding, you know. I'll pay someone to do anything. <laughs> I've definitely struggled before with like live times where I found it harder or easier or more satisfying, less satisfying but I've never taken it for granted but I definitely have taken for granted going to shows like you mm. said I definitely will like take people up on all future offers for sure well we'll hold you to that we'll yes. uh, we'll invite you yes. <laughs> to everything <laughs> But um, yeah, thank you for your time. You've been a model guest. Um, we always round off the interview with asking our guests who they are keeping on repeat at the moment. So who are you listening to? What's what's in your playlist? I actually don't know how to pronounce her artist's name, but um, it's this artist, Ojareem. I don't know if I'm saying that right. <clears throat> uh, let me look how it's spelled real quick. Um, O-J-E-R-I-M-E. Um, maybe it's Ojeron. Mm. I'm not sure. I, I've never heard her speak, so <laughs> I don't know. Um, so sorry if, if you're listening and you are furious at how I'm pronouncing her name. But um, <clears throat> she has an amazing EP called uh before i break down and it's definitely got like a throwback feeling but it doesn't rely on it it's not like 90s throwback music it just has mm. that kind of in there and um it was produced by one of my favorite musicians mansa brown um who yeah i don't know if you guys are familiar with him but he's an incredible guitarist and producer just from outer space, honestly, like <laughs> has it, it's, it's a, to, to bring it back to space. Yeah, yeah. I'm to get away from this weird topic of space, but um, they worked on it together, and she just has this amazing, timeless kind of R and B voice, and I love the way she writes, and I love the way they work together, and yeah, I've just been rinsing that recently. Um, it's kind of just a recent discovery. I think I'm a little bit late to the party, but um. She's amazing. Would definitely recommend her if you like any of the like current peers of hers from London. But even if you're just into like old school, uh, you know, Missy Elliott or Brandy, she really like ticks that box for me. But in this really contemporary way the closest artist I could even think of would be like Alexandria or something if you know her mm. she's kind of got that like selection radio sort of flavor but um completely unique at the same time so that yeah I've been listening to her a lot and obviously like with Mansa producing as well there's like a lot of great guitar playing which always like kind of spikes my interest and She's an amazing vocalist, so I, I spend most of my time just kind of in awe of, <laughs> of songs. But yeah, that, that's kind of who I'm listening to at the moment.
that was possibly the nicest birthday present ever. Um, having Jacob, yeah, it, it was having Jacob and just such a such a grounding conversation, I guess. Even though we were speaking about things that were out of this world and uh, arguably not grounding I don't know I felt really connected and really moved really really moved by so many things that that he was saying so thank you so much to to Pima Blue and um I know that uh some of my other mates are in that band as well so massive shout out to them as well because I think they're they're really wonderful together and I'm so so proud that they've done so well so thank you so much for speaking on our podcast and do remember that his forthcoming album is out in early next is out in early 2021 so it's either going to be late january or february but we'll double check the dates and get back to you and if you like what you hear which we are sure that you do you can like him on facebook at puma blue music follow him on twitter at puma blue music or of course just follow him on instagram at puma blue We'll have all the links in the show notes. We'll link it on our page. And yeah, just thank you so much to people for taking the time out, having a great conversation. There's so much that we want to put in this episode, but obviously it was quite long how it was. So <laughs> maybe we'll do it an outtakes and a, a spatial cosmic outtakes episode at some point. Oh, we'd love to do that. We'd love to do that. And I love actually that, you know, even in terms of our own um, process with this podcast, uh, it was it was kind of refreshing to not be editing mm. too much um even in terms of, of sound qualities because sometimes you know we've got to take a leaf out of out mm. of Puma Blue's book and just leave in our imperfections <laughs> yeah. keep it exactly. authentic you know like you know this is this is the world we live in we got to do our remote interviews and yeah. exactly there's worse things in the world there really are there really are Thank you, um, thank you, Jacob from space. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed the episode and want to keep us on repeat. You can follow, subscribe and like us on your podcast platform of choice and slide into our DMs on Instagram by following us at on repeat the podcast. All information will be included in the show notes. On Repeat was made, produced and edited by us and the theme music is an original piece by Ellie's jazz band, Fujiyama and wonderfully resampled by Dee, the producer, for the podcast. All of our guests give us permission to use their music. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to keep it on repeat.